0: Welcome to Spin It, where the worst of times can become the best of times. I'm your host, Stephanie Malik, an award winning crisis management expert and business consulting strategist. Along with my team of experts at S. Malik Enterprises, I have worked with thousands of high wealth individuals and businesses over the last 25 years to create customized approaches for crisis management and business consulting to ensure they take their careers, relationships, and companies to the next level. On Spin It, we pursue purpose and passion, aspiring to uncover the true story behind every guest's successes and failures, removing the mystique behind what it takes to be truly successful, from those that have actually done it. I'm chatting with executives and entrepreneurs all over the globe to understand how they turned obstacles into opportunities to grow not only themselves, but their businesses. I wanna impact and inspire you and as many people as possible, not by blurting out the same old motivational phrases, but with the truth and authenticity behind real success, along with the roadmaps and methodologies it takes to get there. Whether it was a scandal, a broken business model, or simply navigating the noise, we want you to learn from our mistakes. It's all in how you spin it. Today, I'm so excited to have one of my dearest and closest friends, Claude Silver, on the show. She is the Chief Heart Officer of Media, and what does that even mean? We are going to go through that in so much detail, everything from athletics to empathy, as well as her perfect hiring avatar. I am so excited to have Claude on the show, and I'm excited for you to get so much value from her. Claude, thank you so, so much for joining the show and taking the time to get together with us and share... So much wonderful information with our audience. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it.
1: Yay. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yes. Yes. So I have reworked a bunch of questions and I figured the third time is an amazing charm. I think so. (laughs) Let's do it. Um, These are harder though. These are not so easy. (laughs) So it's funny because every single time I talk to you and it's so frequently and it's again, so enlightening. And so it builds me up so much, but I literally find out new things about you every day. So last week, I got an email from Scott McGregor asking me to be in the upcoming book. And I said, yeah. And he's like, you know, an essay, an essay on gratitude. And I was just like, Oof, that like one page. I'm like, I can go on. I could write a book on that. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, just, just an essay on gratitude and life lessons. And I said, okay, great. And I literally opened the book and there was your essay. Oh, wow. And I had, I mean, I don't want to take away from, from your heart, okay, But I had a very similar relationship with my nana, and she was my best, 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 and dearest friend. There was nothing she didn't know, and quite frankly, there was nothing I didn't know. Which, at a very young age, is a little tricky. That's right. That's totally. (laughs) Um, But it was it was incredible, and I was reading this about you, and I just got like tears in my eyes because like when you tell somebody your best friend is your grandmother, it's kind of like a little bit. But my my grandmother was a first. She came here, didn't know any English whatsoever, was horribly, horribly poor, raised children on a farm with 60 cents a day. Her level of humanity and gratitude and love and honor of others was exceptional. So tell me about your Nana and tell me what the biggest lesson that she taught you.
1: Well, now I know just why we love each other even that much more, because it's very, very special to be raised especially emotionally raised by a nana that is so full of love and life and resilience and generosity and gratitude and empathy and you know my parents tell this story that my nana was here in New York City the day i was born she had she was living in Chicago i guess i maybe it was a day late i don't know she was on her way back to the airport when i guess maybe she called my dad on a on a payphone came rushing back to the airport, to the uh, hospital, Lenox Hill Hospital here, and she was carrying all these shopping bags. And so my parents always talk about these shopping bags Nana came into the delivery room with. And Nana was there from the minute I was born. I was there with her almost minutes before she died. My dad was in Santa Fe, New Mexico with her. And my brother and I were on the phone here in New York, and we were both, we were all saying the mourner's cottage in Hebrew together as she was slipping away my dad did such a beautiful mitzvah a real gift to us and so it's just a beautiful book in there nana everyone knows this by now nana called me heart and i called her heart and it was a name that she just came up with i don't know if i ever actually asked her why because i probably didn't need to know why it just was our connection and the fact that of course i have heart in my title she saw beautiful. But Nana knew everything about me and she knew everything about me without me having to tell her.
0: Yeah. See, that's the special part. That's the special part when someone knows how you're feeling before you actually know how you're feeling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Before I could articulate it, especially not only just my teenage years, which were, you know, funky and crusty as some, some of them can be for all of us. But even, you know, I moved to London when I turned 40. I didn't know anyone. And I would call her every single day as I was leaving work, which was, you know, time change was a, worked out well for her. Hi, heart, it's your heart. And we would just talk and gab and just about everything and everything. She was my psychologist. I was her psychologist. And, you know, it just, it just she was my best friend, my person. And, you know, when I, when I really think about it, I, I know that I will grieve Nana forever because I miss Nana every day. And I am also so joyful in my heart because I knew her love. I feel her love every day.
0: And it just stays with you. It just, it is, it is a very, very sad thing. My grandmother would be 120 this year and she died many, many, many years ago. But the love, like I think it's the first time I ever really realized what sustainable love is because again I didn't have the most stable upbringing as you well know but emotionally nothing was off limits and it was just it was just beautiful and i am i'm sad every single day i'm sad that my children don't get to know her but i'm also honored that i was able to have her for so long and have her stabilizing factor and her empathy and her care and i mean you know and it wasn't always sunshine and roses like i mean i would act up or my behavior was poor and i mean she wasn't shy at mm-hmm. all yeah. to yeah, tell yeah. me to <laughs> get back in line. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that's it. That's exceptional. It is.
1: It, wait, I have to just tell you something really cool. So my first daughter, her name is Shalom. Her middle name is B. My Nana's name was Bernice B. So we called her Nana B. So Shalom B is named after Nana. And the other day on Saturday, Shalom and I were running around in some park And our faces were probably a foot and a half away from each other. And literally, a beautiful butterfly went straight in between us and landed on a leaf. And I said, hi, Nana. And Shalom said, hi, Nana. And it was just the most incredible thing ever.
0: You know, those, those small moments, those things like that, you'll never forget those. Ever, ever, ever. You'll remember that. Just, I, you know, I remember the touch of her hand and I remember walking through a garden. I remember her not reaching for my hand, but just our hands touching and then they just naturally go into each other. It's a safety and a bond that you'll never, ever forget. So that was exceptional that I actually just learned that about you. So I was really excited about that. I'm so happy. Thank you
1: for bringing that up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I want to add a ton, a ton, a ton of value. Obviously, you know that the show is fairly new and that we're talking about obstacles into opportunities. And as we've talked about several times, Claude, we've had so many of those, like, where do we even start both of us together? I got some feedback about questions that maybe you haven't been asked or questions that you want to talk about. So I want to keep this super fluid and I want to talk about adding value. What is the most pivotal decision that you've ever made in your career or professional life thus far?
1: The most pivotal decision that I can really name this minute was when I told Gary that I no longer wanted to work in advertising. So, when it actually came out of my mouth to a boss, it is something I felt years before when I was living in London, having a wonderful career, I was very grateful for. But when I got here, I had been at Vayner for a year. It was so apparent to me that the, the art of advertising, creating campaigns, of uh, uh, deliberating with clients, of doing you know, scope creep and all of that stuff, it, that didn't mean anything to me anymore. I was kind of empty. I was empty there. But the team is what meant everything to me. So taking that risk, by the way, I worked with a coach. I hired a coach to help me not only uh, get very clear on what it was I didn't want to do, but help me find the words to go and resign to my boss gary who is not the easiest person to resign to but it was i was as I was as clear as day that that part of my career no longer served me and thus i wasn't serving anyone authentically sure i could do it i could still do it if you put a if you gave me a brief right now to do something for tennis shoes i could do it it's in my blood but when I said to him, I no longer want to work in advertising, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I only care, care about people. I only care about the heartbeat of this place. And that, those were pivotal words. And we ended up creating this role. So I have to say, that was the most pivotal thing that I can really touch this minute. I can give you three or four others that were very big in my life. But saying those words put me on the trajectory to only live my truth and to only breathe my truth every single day. I don't have to put a mask on to go up and present to clients. I don't have to pretend that I'm actually better with PL and revenue than I am. I don't have to reach and try to strengthen those weaknesses anymore. And that's not to say I don't believe in strengthening areas in which I need to, but you know, I was 45 at that moment in time and I knew what I knew. And I'm so privileged and, and blessed that I got to say those words. And of course that Gary created this role, which is a role I've been doing my entire life. This is Nana.
0: It's just official. That's yeah, it. That's, it. that's all it great is. It's just official. Of right.
1: And yeah. this is Nana. This is what she did. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Tell me about Gary's face. Tell me about, I, 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 want, I want to hear, because we all know Gary's very expressive in his facial. <laughs> so tell me, was, was he, I mean, was he perplexed? Was he, was he curious? Was he frustrated? Like, tell me about his face.
1: Well, after we had that very quick conversation, what he doesn't remember is he said, I need you to do this job for 18 more months. And I said, I'll give you six, or I thought I'll give you six. And I went about finding my backfill who we found. She's wonderful. She's been with us five and a half years. Her name's Lisa Buckley. She's going to run the LA office like tomorrow. But six months later, so I had worked with my coach on Halloween, I would give notice. Well, sure enough, it was November 6th, so I hit the mark. And I went in and I said, this is going to be a difficult conversation. And he was sitting in a chair, not like a desk chair, a comfy chair, and I saw him literally kind of just, not, sh- yeah, just not shrink, yeah, just retract. Like he and I had such a close bond. I think, you know, Gary takes pride in really being able to see and understand people. And this, this swept by him. And he'll tell you that as I was saying the words, he was thinking, how am I going to get her back? What am I going to do? What are we going to create? And it ended up being a, you know, very long, like 70 minute conversation where he said something to me that was very prominent at that moment. He said, I don't want us to be like those high school or college sweethearts that disappear and in 35 years wonder what if, what could have happened.
0: Wow. I just got chills. That's, I mean, just that, just putting those two things together. Cause you know what? That's true. Think about those relationships that were so pivotal for you and so important whatever time in your life, high school, college, even later, and then you run into them and that connection, that magnet is still there. Oh yeah.
1: And also some of the grief is there
0: yeah, too. Exactly. And so
1: that's what he was saying. I don't want us to look back and say, what if? And the greatest thing is we don't have to because
0: we get to co-create this every day. That's together. incredible. Yeah. I it's love a that. real,
1: it's a real gift, a real gift to me.
0: That's amazing. So, okay, uh, here's a difficult question. Is is you're like, oh good. I I got my baseball bat ready. (laughs) You're like pass, hard pass, hard pass. (laughs) It's Monday. Um, (laughs) So is this your dream job? It is my dream. I
1: mean, it is it is the accumulation of my life into a role, into a career. My dream job teaching surfing was pretty awesome. Because there's, there's the chief heart officer aspect and there's a physical aspect, which is really good for me to feel. I mean, to feel the earth every single day, which is why sitting in an office like Hudson Yards is amazing because I get to see the planet from up here on the 25th floor, see the world, see the ocean. But this is pretty much the epitome of all of my life's work. And what it allows me to do is not only take the, the foundation of my life's work and all of the teachings and learnings that are just inside me somewhere, but I'm getting to learn while I'm doing it. I'm getting to brush up on things and learn new things about neurodiversity or linguistics or remind myself that really the only thing that matters is love and everything else is an illusion. And then how do I bring that to people every single day? Because what I just said to you, everything is is love and what isn't is an illusion. It's very difficult for me to tell a 26-year-old sometimes.
0: <sighs> okay. Praise God. Because <laughs> then they look at you and they go like this.
1: <laughs> like, they, well, and they're also like, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they're thinking to me like, I didn't come in here for a philosophy class. Right. Like right. I came in here because I want a raise.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's, it's actually, so you always do this to me. Like, I feel like this needs to be three and a half hours. Okay. But so that's hysterical. And then, you know, some of the things I found in some of the executives that I'm coaching right now, our business consulting is not nearly as trained, not nearly as eloquent, not nearly as open as you are. Okay. But they really do want to infuse that love into their, but then they get, so they get like, they, they go over and to close the door and they're like, they want to turn around and go, no, stop it you cannot act like this. Like this is what's important. And then they're like, oh crap, it's HR. Oh crap. We're in in a sensitive time right now. Oh my gosh, I can't say this. Oh my God, wait, I need to open the door. And they're, they're almost acting Claude in a robotic sense. And so they go home and they're so exhausted from acting outside of their heart and acting outside of their how do I get that 26-year-old to be a standout or have key differentiators around EQ? What does that look like? And it's the same conversation. It's literally like... Yeah, <laughs>
1: that's so genius that you said that. It, it literally, it's, it's exactly what happens that we get all caught up in our heads because we're, we think like, oh, we can't do this. We can't say that. Oh my God, this is the workplace. And it's like, first and foremost, this is life sure. It's your workplace because this is where you come to make money and get a paycheck. This is all one and the same. It is called life. You are breathing the same way you breathe when you're at home or you're playing soccer, or you went out the other night to have a glass of champagne with your best friends because you can. It's all (laughs) the same. And then we put these parameters up because why? We come into a workplace and there's like cubicles or desks.
0: It's nothing. It doesn't mean anything. So I was just talking to somebody about that last week, and they're like, we literally need a policy. For everything, and he's like, it's so uncomfortable to operate in humility and humanity. It's he's like, you know, somebody comes and they have a Trump pin on their desk, and then somebody else is super offended, and then somebody else comes, and then they have a poster, and he's like, can't we all just act in love and acceptance and kindness and grace? And he's like, and then I, I say those words, and he's like, and you see like twenty two heads go like this. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So it's frustrating, and I, I'm glad that you brought it up.
1: Yeah, it is frustrating and there's a way out. I know there's a way through. There's a way through.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you said that. So the other thing that you were talking about is athletics and athletics is so important to you. And I know that you've been an amazing athlete. You've been very driven. You've been extremely accomplished. I know how you feel about tennis. I know how you feel about surfing. I don't know very much about, as you all well know, I don't watch the media very much and I don't watch TV a ton, what do you think happened with Simone Biles and knowing only what's on the media thus far? What do you think could have been done differently from a mental health perspective?
1: Yes, very important topic. You know, Simone Biles and many of those other women were sexually assaulted. And I don't really know if we've come to terms with that. If we have really understand what the trauma is like what the pain and denial is like, what the shame is like, what the secrecy is like. I don't know if we really understand that unless it's happened to you. And then to bottle that with a healthy dose of resistance and adversity and then go out and break world records and Olympic records and vault and do floor routines and you know do somersaults on a balance beam that's the width of our iPhone. I don't know if we've actually really come to terms with what it is like to have pressures as an athlete of that caliber, high performance. You know, you and I go out there and hit tennis balls and you and I might go out there and try a skateboard with our kids. Ha ha. Wow. (laughs) Oh, I double faulted into the net. Bummer, Claude. I mean, that's nothing. Right, Right? They're literally doing these, you know, she's doing these, these flips, which could be, could break her neck. So what I say is where is our compassion, empathy, and humility? You and I don't know what it is like to be in her body and don't know what she went through and all the other gymnasts that have gone through that type of trauma. And so I say, yeah, was it a bummer for me, this person that wants to consume great entertainment of Simone Biles watching her do her floor routine? Yeah, oh boohoo, it was. But did she probably save herself some A, potentially physical pain, more emotional pain? And I have to believe she and that team are so rooted together by this point. Yeah, they've been practicing for, God knows however, she's been practicing since she was what, six or something, that I have to believe there was enough trust and camaraderie and love that she could say, look, I'm not myself right now, I got to bow out. So I think we've done a disservice to her in many ways.
0: Right. Well, I think, I mean, like we've talked about before, I think, I think to many athletes, um, I think to many athletes, the one thing I wanted to get from you is, again, none you, you said it very, very, very um, eloquently again, Claude, is we don't really know what we don't know. You know, we just don't know. What are some areas of support that maybe would have Made her feel more supported, or more maybe that she could have come out a little earlier and given somebody else that spot. Because I also want to think about how everybody trained and everybody trained, and really there was another spot of that person that didn't get to compete because of this. What could we have stood up differently?
1: Well, you know, I imagine that those people that were traumatized by that that coach, I I have to only imagine that they've received some kind of help, treatment, support, counseling. I don't know. You and I have no idea. My question though, is how deep PTSD runs deep.
0: Right. And, and not only does it run deep, you also think you've dealt with it and you've gone through the counseling and you've gone through possibly, you know, some people it's so deep, it's medication and counseling. Some people it's, it's EMDR, some people it's neuro-linguistic processing, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, years later, that flood comes back.
1: Yeah. So, how could we reverse engineer it? Okay. Well, really taking care of the people that were affected, and especially those people that are about to go on a global stage, and maybe check in. You know, again, you and I weren't there behind the scenes, and we're not there in the locker room. And I imagine that Simone Biles might have had the sense of it a couple of days prior. You know, you know when you're not right. Like I was just telling you on a completely different level. I knew years before I said to Gary I'm done with advertising that I was done with advertising. I just didn't have the cojones to say anything until I finally was done with advertising and I was I felt safe enough and secure enough inside.
0: I think we always try and check ourselves, Claude. Or like, are we done? Was this a bad day? Is this a bad like what's happening for us? Like, are we really done? But you're right. We know exactly when we're done. We know when we're done yeah,
1: we have something which is amazing and I don't know if any other animals have it, but we have like gut instinct. <laughs> we have our stomach, which speaks to us, you know, our intuition, all of those things. So, but the, the moral of the story is like, what would have happened had she gone out and, and performed? And maybe she would have done great. Maybe she would have broken a leg. Maybe she would have hurt herself in a worse way. Maybe in five years time, she really would have hurt, hurt herself and maybe she wouldn't be here any longer. I don't think we, and I'm saying generalization, we have scratched the surface on what emotional health and wellness is really
0: about. Well, we prove that every single day. Every
1: day. And when I heard, you know, this is to completely off topic to an extent. When I heard that the second killer of teenagers is suicide, I just heard this the other day, a day ago. And, I, you know, I've had people in my life uh, that have uh, decided to take their life. That, that we have to pay attention to that. We have to pay attention to that. That is serious, serious. That is a massive cry for help. And it's, if it's happening in this country among our teenagers, then what's happening with that generation right before?
0: Exactly. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, thank you for talking to me about that. What is one question that you wish somebody would ask you that they never ever bring up and ask you?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't know. Uh, there's so many in the workplace. There's like, how did I know that I, I, I was always that person that knew I had potential. And whether or not it was Nana telling me some teachers telling me, or that inner gut telling me I always had potential. And I was just talking to the interns the other day, and I was sharing with them how, you know what, when I was 28, 29, whatever, 30, doing these kind of in, uh, whatever the elementary roles were that I was had to do, the beginner roles, junior level roles, entry level, I was always thinking like, God, I should really be an account director now. I should really be, don't they see that I should be an account director? And I hadn't formulated critical thinking yet. I didn't know how to present to a client yet, but I was like, yes, I know how to do that. I know how to do that, I know how to do that. And what I didn't realize is, A, I didn't yet. And everything I did was a building block to get to this place today. So I think some people think that either, you know, some people definitely think, like, I just woke up one day and I'm like, yes, here I am. (laughs) Which I, you know, I try to (laughs) I really try to dispel that because it's fictitious. Right. You know? And then the other part is like, yeah. And I also thought, like, I should be a Nobel laureate poet when I was 21, (laughs) because I digested Jim Morrison's poetry so deeply in E.E. Cummings, you know? So I'm just funny like that. I think that's one of the things that is interesting to me. And I think the other one is like, I, I have taken the road less traveled 8,000 times in my life, and many of us have. And I'm still taking the road less traveled. You know, if you think about it, I'm a, an older mom with two brand new kids, two and a half, two months old. I mean, what the heck am I doing over here, right? But that's the road less traveled. You know, I, I made a choice. It's a, it was a choice for me to all of a sudden fall in love with a, not a choice to fall in love with a woman, but a choice to then live my life as a gay woman. Like that's, that's a choice I made every single day. Like that's had its ups and downs too. It's, I think, so there is no question in there other than I think we go back to what you and I just said about Simone Biles and other people is we never know what other people are going through. Or went through. And I'm smiling because I have had such a beautiful, beautiful life up till now. And it's going to be just even better the back half.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think when you, I think as the girls get older, I mean, obviously, you know, I have four. And when the girls get older, I think it's going to be so interesting to see you go through motherhood, to see their brash arguments they so so-and-so is doing it and everybody at school is doing it. And to see how you're going to process what that looks like and telling them that you're such an amazing reasoner. You are really willing to hear somebody else's perspective. Even if you go in and you it's nothing in what you believe or it's no part of you or you don't understand it the care and the grace and the empathy that i have seen you and i i watched you for a long time before we got to actually be close okay i just remember just sitting back and just and watching like you didn't have any part of that like you didn't think that you didn't believe it but you were so willing to hear somebody else out i think about that with shalom i think about that with how you'll go through it with her when she comes in and gives you this gigantic argument because she's already so feisty. You know what I mean? She's already so like, she knows where she's doing and she knows where she's going. But I think it's amazing to me how you process other people's information and how you are insanely generous, which takes me to my next topic, which is you judge no one. You are open. You are kind if you share an opinion that maybe not is not of your own opinion you say it eloquently and generally it's in question form generally it's like oh i'd love to hear more about that you could be seething inside you could be frustrated annoyed irritated you're not getting answers fast enough but you always ask graciously and kindly when do you get drained and when do you get tired and what do you do about it thank you so much
1: by the way for everything that you said that's beautiful, thank you. Um, <laughs> I get drained when... Uh, I got drained right after the murder of George Floyd. And I was holding a lot of raw emotion at work, and raw emotion in the universe, and my own raw emotion, and didn't have answers for it, and didn't know what to do with it. And the raw emotion really... At, su- at a certain point, I I do want people to take accountability for what it is they share. I can hold a lot, but when it's something as heavy as that, and I can't solve racism by myself, and I wish I could, I, I got drained. That was very heavy for me.
0: What did that look like?
1: It looked, you would see my face. get. We, we probably even spoke around that time when I was really tired. It was last, obviously it was last summer. I was really tired. I couldn't fill up my cup. We were all, you know, sheltering in place. You know, no one knew their head from their you knew what. And the their country was going crazy. And it looked like I was testy. I was not my best self. I was not my kindest self at home for sure. And I wasn't, I was restless.
0: Because I had all
1: of this energy. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, Gary calls it, there, there's a difference between a wartime general and a peacetime general. Now he wants wartime generals. And I'm a great wartime general. But I need to know how to fight the war sometimes. Right, you need the tools. I need the tools. Yeah. Or, and that was a war that I just, I it, eventually I was able to get my hands around it with his help and other people's help at work, which has been phenomenal. But that was a point in my time at work where I was just, Overwhelmed with emotion, and when it's not when it's my emotion, it's one thing because I know how to regulate my emotion, I know where to go to for support, but when I'm holding emotion of let's just say two hundred, 250 other people, uh that was a lot for me because all I want to say is like I got you, I know I wish I could, but let's do this together, whatever, please take this back. That's not something I can really do in that moment. like, hey, sorry take that back. So that was overwhelming for me. And that was the last time I got overwhelmed at work for sure.
0: I remember that time really well. I remember that I purposely didn't watch the video and I purposely didn't, not because I couldn't handle it, obviously, because you know what my job is, but more because I didn't want to form a bad or hurtful or a hateful opinion of anyone. And I mean, Claude, to your point, it was coming every single different way. And, and then my kids were forming opinions and then and then their parents were forming opinions. And then there was a lot of just, like you said, there was just a lot of hate and I could not be a part of it. So I, I know, to your point, I know holding that and going, I can't impact or affect change right now. I don't know what to do. And that was literally, I was like, uh, I I had for the first time in so incredibly long, I had no answer. I had no words. I had no way to hold any comfort, love, share. I had nothing. And that was a real giant punch in the face. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. You too, right? That's what you do all day. You hold and you let people know that you were going to help them through whatever actions and right. consequences. Right, I got it. 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 Yeah. that's a one that was that that was like a ten thousand foot tsunami wave. And anyway, I mean, we're still dealing with that, but but I think that there are more of us now on solid footing to do it together.
0: So, how did you recharge? How did you recharge from that? What did you do? What were some of this? I hate to use the word self care. It's so weird, but what? How did you do? self-care type things? What do they look like?
1: You know, that was a tough one for me because I was, again, I wasn't, you know, able to go get massages or anything as elaborate and eloquent and and entitled as that. So it was a lot of walks. It was actually a lot of walks and really this sounds as corny as it is, kind of like stopping and smelling the roses, stopping and noticing where there was a little bit of beauty. And again, I, at that point, Shalom was, you know, 18, 19 months. So, Seeing the world through her eyes was a way to recharge in many ways. As exhausting as it is to be with a toddler, but there's an innocence and purity of love there, and curiosity that definitely recharged me for sure, for sure, for sure. And it was a it was a as, it was a beautiful summer, so I was also able to like be active in a, in a swimming pool and things like that. If I did it today, you know, I would go hit some tennis balls or play some pickleball or, you know, do some other things. But for me, I need, I process through my body. Uh,
0: yes. Yeah. I'm I a Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So, yeah. so did you ever not share time with Shalom because you didn't want to her to feel your energy of nerves or fear or anxiety or frustration? Did you ever not spend the time with her? I was like, you know what, I don't want to give this to her right now. So I'm going to kind of check out and do something else. Well, you know, I,
1: I have Andrea, so I could give her to Andrea, but that's, that was really it. We didn't, she wasn't in daycare or anything last year. So it was literally just like separating. I'm going to go work. Or separating, I'm going to go to the grocery store with a mask on, I'm not going to bring anyone else. You know, this was, again, last year where it was frightening. Yeah. And in times in which I know I cannot regulate myself, like, no one should be around me.
0: Right. But again, I go back to, I go back to, this is a very important topic because that's the self-regulation. That's a self-actualization. I'm trying to get my clients to realize tapping out and saying, Hey, not right now. I need a minute or being able to recognize that it's actually okay to call it, to go, Hey, you know what? I'm not even good for myself right now. I need to like pull myself back and I need to, and, and by the way, I don't know how to do that. So I need a minute. I think you you nailed it. It's not that you were good, for, not for Shalom. It's just I know how sensitive you are about making sure she has good energy and good people around her. I mean, for everybody, I'm the same way. I have to be like, ooh, time out. That's that's just no more. We're done.
1: Yeah, and you know something that I didn't do well last year, which I have brought back into my life, is being able to validate myself when I need validation. Not like God, you're doing a great job. Like I don't need that kind of validation, but like. It's okay, you deserve to take this half an hour off. You deserve, like, I I have a body of evidence that tells me I can do motherhood well. It's okay for me to tap out for an hour. You know, the guilt, and I didn't do that well last year, and probably because we didn't really have the opportunity in, in many ways.
0: Right. And it's, and it's all new to you too, Claude. Like, I mean, it's not your 14th kid and you know, you haven't done this 27 years and, and those moms and those grandparents say, oh gosh, these are some of the mistakes that I made as well. You know? So we're all learning. There's no manual that comes with these little critters. That's it.
1: With those little critters, <laughs> with the pandemic, they nothing. We're all, we're, we're all doing it. My only, my only thing, and you know this about me because it's the same with you is I just want to make sure I'm doing it with love. And I want to make sure that that is love in action for me. That's literally what it is. Love
0: in action. Okay. So I ask you, hey, Claude, I want to interview your very, very, very best friend. And I want her to tell me three things that not very many people know good, bad, and different, doesn't matter. She hates chocolate. She loves coconut. She you know, used to have red hair. It doesn't matter what it is. What are the three interesting facts that your best friend would tell me that not many people know?
1: All right. Well, I'm going to pick Gail, who's my oldest, oldest friend in the world. She would tell you that I think on her ninth birthday, it was a grease theme. And of course, I was the only one to dress up as Kenicky or whatever those, the greasers were. Everyone else was dressed in like Bobby socks and the what you know, the, the dresses and all of those things. So I was such a tomboy and really did not want to wear dresses ever in my life. I think that was the first thing. And it was really she was so accepting of me even then. You know, I was so awkward. I'm sure I had on big red glasses at the time. I started wearing glasses when I was eight. My mom in the eighties was like, Here, wear some big red glasses. That's a good idea. With braces. And I was like,
0: What? My mom did the same thing to me, but they were green, bright green corduroy bell-bottom pants and then with with, with a plaid shirt. It was awesome. Sweet. And now (laughs) today you'd be on the cover of both for that. (laughs) Right? You know, you really would. Um, She would tell you
1: that. She would tell you that when I was like, I don't know, four or five, I took, and I can remember this. I took kid scissors, which are pretty dull, but I took kid scissors to her hair and chopped up her hair. And her mom dragged me to the hair salon with her to kind of see what my actions were. That was great. As a matter of fact, Shalom took a scissor the other day and cut out a piece of her curl and, and uh, without me seeing it. So those scissors went bye-bye. But yeah, it's like, right. you know, this, this is real. This won't grow back. <laughs> she would tell you that. And I think the third thing that she would tell you, which I had to remind her of because she's so incredibly modest and humble, is she was the one that convinced me to go back to school and get my VA and actually get the piece of paper. She's also the person that introduced me to Gary. So I mean...
0: Oh, that's awesome. So she's your rock person. Yeah. I love that. She's amazing.
1: We have been friends since we were one. She's the chief brand officer of WW Weight Watchers. She's a heavy hitter. And she is the most kind, funny, and generous person that I know and doesn't miss anything. That's awesome. Yeah, I would
0: love to meet her. That sounds. Will. It sounds like it would be just a hoot just yeah, to I listen mean, to the story.
1: She's like Lucille Ball, but, uh, oh, but like
0: uh, a cover girl. I love that. Okay. If I handed you $1 million and I said, go create any program that you want, I don't care what it is. Your only caveat is you have to make leaders better and more imfa- impactful. Where would you start and what would you create?
1: I would probably spend an enormous amount of time and money either taking people to Outward Bound or creating some kind of wilderness leadership program for them, for leaders, uh, where you had to leave all of your precious items at home and work with each other to figure it out. How to get out of the Grand Canyon, whatever we were doing. How to cook when you have no matches. Where, Where to go, what do you use when you need to, you know, there's no toilet out there. So I, I would do a lot of that because it's it's more survival, but obviously no one's gonna die.
0: I mean, <laughs> I, mean I mean let's not be let's not make any yeah, crazy like you know right. they could survival the
1: fittest. They could. And by the way, I know not everyone's comfortable in those things. So like that's even a challenge too. But that's where empathy and teamwork and trust come in and you know, being able to be vulnerable, like hello. Uh, yeah, what am I going to use to wipe my butt today? A pine cone looks good. Mm. Yeah, you know that. But so being of stuff.
0: Comf- being being so insanely comfortable, being uncomfortable, is where all the real true growth and the and the and the real the real I guess grit to leadership skills, like the real stuff, not the learned stuff, not the book stuff, not the Harvard stuff, not that I've been in business twenty years, but the really hard how do you go tell people that they're being laid off because of X or how do you deliver bad information about somebody passing or like those type of things, only collaboration and grit in those situations are what make you so solid.
1: Yeah. And watching other people do it and picking up on their, their ways, their vibes, their, you know, the the beautiful eloquence that they have. So that is one thing I would definitely do. The other thing I would do is, is very avant-garde, but I would in some way, shape, or form, try to recreate the 12-step program for people. And I don't mean recovery, so to speak. I mean the group share. And I would, the thing that works so well, that I think that works so well about 12-step programs and the ones that I've, I've joined and been a part of is that you are there for you. You're not there to make friends and you're not there to impress Sally over there. If you're not there for you, then you might as well not be there.
0: So who would be the audience? What would the
1: audience look like? Well, we would all be there. So we would all be sharing something extremely deep that we want to work on. And the, the, yeah, the, the incredible or intense part is that you have to really get honest with yourself. Like, I really want to work on the fact that I micromanage my team every day. I really want to work on the fact that my imposter syndrome is so loud that I just I run from it, whatever it is. So we'd, ha- we'd have to get people really into the zone of what these are about. And they might have to go walk into the real 12-step programs for a while and see how raw people are there.
0: So you've helped me so much in in coaching because so many of the executives that I coach, you'll pop into my head in, 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 a, in a really difficult time, in a time where somebody's processing deep pain or deep trauma. And that's where kind of the magic happens, if you will. Because I'm so empathetic and because I'm so caring, my nature is to go, I got it. I got it. And I have stopped because of you saying they have to go through the entire process of that feeling. If you don't, you stop the growth right there. And you are so right, Claude. When you talk to these people that are running billion-dollar corporations, I mean, my last two clients were billion-dollar corporation presidents or CEOs or, or, or CIOs or whatever, and they didn't have those, those things. I have massive imposter syndrome. If you talk to somebody else, they're like arrogant and they're aloof and they're apathetic. No, that's a guard. That's a mask. That's just a mask. That's all it is. So I think that would be awesome. And I might try to figure out a way to get you funded a million dollars to make you go do this. Let's do it. I'm
1: so game to do that. That's how we, we want to change this construct, which is an illusion. But by the way, it's, we live in this illusion all day long. of Hierarchy, authority, the, the more money, more money, more money, more money. I got to like put you up against a wall so I can get more money. I have to shame you. You're not good enough. Tweedledee, tweedledum. All day long, and it just doesn't need to be that way.
0: Yeah, I, I, I love that insight. I was interviewing, I'm not sure if you know Robin Daniels. Do you know Robin Daniels? No. He's the CMO for Matterport. They went public last week. Okay. He is the, an absolute, just an absolute amazing human being. And I started asking these questions of people that I have so much respect for in how they develop their teams. Okay. So here's the question Your perfect avatar. So you have no money okay, you have no money, you have no open positions, you have no FTE slots at all, but you go to Starbucks and you meet this person, what person do you meet that makes you want to go create a position because their person, their infusion of who they are is too good to miss out on? What does that look like for you?
1: It looks like someone that is an enormous heart, that is extremely great with customers. So I would watch this person, if they were at the register or barista, I would watch them light other people up uh, with their magic, with the way in which they handle themselves and the way in which they bring delight to a customer, for sure. And I would watch the speed at which they get things done. That's very important to me, the efficiency. So it's fine if you want to gab with your customer, but you make sure that the coffee's getting done the way they want it to be. Customer service and hospitality is enormously important to me. I would hire... That, that's where I got a lot of my, my gifts. I would hire people from Starbucks, no problem. Um, and they had some kind of operational excellence. So they kind of knew what was happening behind them with who, when. So I'm sure they, they knew the store, the floor of the store very, very well. So maybe that's, a, maybe that's a manager of a Starbucks, or maybe just that's someone like who I was when I was 25, running a very small grocery store in San Francisco. And I just, I had a feel for everything and everyone and I could touch people and see them light up while I said (laughs) paper, plastic. I
0: love it. Okay. So I just figured out how we can make like $10 million in like three months. Okay, great. We have to, we have to teach a bunch of 25 year olds that skill. Ready? Ready? Go. Let's go. go. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's hysterical. I love that. And that's amazing. And it it just is um, so aligned with everything. It's about having grit, tenacity, efficiency, and being a kind person and lighting others up, igniting who they are inside, making them smile when they didn't have a reason to smile that day. That's it.
1: And your smile, I mean, they, I always say this, your energy introduces you before you even speak. So how are you going to walk into the room? How are you going to be in that elevator? How are you going to be when you're walking into a Starbucks and someone greets you? Like, those things are really important to me. They really, really are. I think that the more we do that, the more tender and compassionate the world and kind the world will
0: be. And we need
1: that desperately right now.
0: So if you could meet one person in the entire world and time or money was absolutely zero issue to get to them, who would it be?
1: Um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, I would. And there's some others that come to mind immediately too. Michelle Obama, Deepak Chopra, Oprah.
0: So all very spiritually connected people. Yeah,
1: spiritually connected and people that live, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, live with a kind and compassionate heart.
0: And that's their only belief in the world. Yeah, that's so interesting because people are so people don't lead with that. People end with that,
1: and that's if they right. began
0: to walk through and lead with that, so many things would change. So yeah. many things would change. Yeah,
1: yes, right. We just need to dismantle some other things so people. Okay, feel like,
0: so we're running out of time, Ow. and I have. No. I, I know. I'm like, no, we're not. No, no. we're not. But it's okay because the audio is not going to go through again, and I'm going to call <laughs> you on Monday. <laughs> so, okay. Do you believe that empathy can be taught or trained into a workforce?
1: I do. Because empathy is the emotion, kindness, and compassion are the actions. And I do think you can teach kindness and compassion.
0: That's actually a really good perspective. I hadn't thought about yeah. it like that. I don't
1: think you could say, hey, Stephanie, just try to sit in my shoes for a second. I think you can imagine what that might be like. But I think if we can train empathy through kindness, through compassion to open the door to what another person might be feeling going through what their experience might be like. I think that's that's the ticket.
0: I think that's amazing. I think that's a, a really new perspective. I haven't really thought of it like that because I am always saying to my younger ones, my younger employees, or I, I shouldn't say saying, because I'm not, I close my door and I'm trying to think of a better way. Like, how do I let them know how they impacted somebody else's day by not going that extra step? Or how do I explain to them what executive presence looks like? It's not the stoic, you know, like, you know, demanding type thing. It's it's more of an ease of humility and grace and, and presence. And how do I teach that? And so that's a really great perspective. Have you ever walked away from something because it just felt way too hard for you to manage right now?
1: Sure. Some friendships. Yeah. Some friendships that were too, too taxing and were a little bit too taxing or demanding and boundary crossing. Yeah. I have not, not in time recently, but I certainly have before, which is when things you realize like,
0: gosh, I don't feel like this with any other person. Hmm. Right. This has never happened before and it continues to happen here.
1: Yeah. What's going on? And we're like
0: friends. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So one of my last questions, there's two, where do you see things trending from a future corporate environment for love, care, kindness, and empathy? So your specific job and what Gary has tasked you to do, where do you see it trending for every other corporation that may not be so lucky to have a chief heart officer?
1: I do believe that this type of role will evolve and more and more corporations, maybe not the ones you touch necessarily today, but more tech corporations, more media corporations are going to trend in this way. I do think so because of your workforce. So right now we still have the five multi-generational workforce, but soon enough boomers are going to retire. And soon enough Gen Z is going to really take over with the younger millennials. And they just, they demand this. They demand respect for their mental and emotional health. They demand purposeful work. You know, They demand knowing that there's a diverse workforce f- and where does your money go to? They want to know that stuff. They they check and see, well, you work with this client and this client back that politi- uh, polit- political person. Like, I don't want to work for you.
0: Right, right. What does it look like? So tell me what you think. So as I see it more and more, and and I'll, I'll just share with me for, for me, Claude. People are talking about, you know, we've we've done several diversity, equity, and inclusion audits. But then what's interesting, and, and I will say I'll share very openly, it's been very frustrating because a, a DEI audit is paper. It's looking at it's looking at information that is that's that's data. It's not touching hearts, it's not having hard conversations, it's not going in and actually having hard conversations. So we stop doing DEI audits unless we get the actual in-person conversation with the subset I choose. You don't get to choose. I get to choose. And my frustration has been people don't really understand it. They say they shake their head this way and they say that they understand what diversity, equity, inclusion is. In fact, I've had some people be so brazen to where I'm in a C-suite conversation with the executives and I've had them say, hey, Steph, what are you looking for for this diversity, equity, inclusion audit? And I'm like, that they just ask me what I'm looking for? Right, right. What do you mean? What are you looking for? I, I get. I right. But I get so like, and then I'm like, literally, and you know me, like I get very awkward. I'm like, why am I here? I don't know what I'm doing because this is your call. You have people that are leaving. You have people that feel unheard. You have people that feel unresolved. You don't have development programs. You have so many, like there's so like, and then we do it and they're like, oh my gosh, Stephanie, thank you so much. I cannot believe the data that we have. And then they don't follow up with the recommendations. How do we do it better, Claude? Well, you know,
1: I think it goes back to what I was talking about, about uh, the 12 step or the Outward Bound. You have to live through something. And, you know, whether or not you, how are we going to, how are you and I going to walk a mile in a person of color shoes? The only way to do that is walk a mile with them. Sure, we could use virtual reality. That could help us too, by the way, because you and I do need to go to a different reality because of our our skin color. But we need to walk a mile with people and understand what code switching is about and understand how you and I go into a Starbucks and you and I might get served first. Whatever it is, or the language that's used with us might be very different. These are things, they, they are subtle, most of them. Some of them are unconscious, but this is what's happening every single day. So... That's how we need to do it is we need to attach action to what it is we're talking about. There's data. Yeah. And then you need to go and talk to those 20 people that uh, have said that they are AAPI people of color and like ask them how safe they feel about riding the subway. Maybe ride the subway with them. It doesn't take a lot. It's called common sense. And it's called remembering that we will never know what another person is going through unless we are with them, ask them, supporting them, uh, in, in lockstep with them, riding right? shotgun. That's the deal.
0: Well, I think you say something that is like so interesting because you say it's common sense. You wouldn't believe the head tilt. You wouldn't believe that. oh, Not here. And I'm like, but I, I have the data. <laughs> like, but you know, like, and and it's it's so interesting that you would think that they would have so much more oomph like I want to fix this. I want to make it better. And they, they shrink, Claude, they retract. If we put everyone if we
1: gave like everyone uh some psychotropic therapy, like gave everyone some like ketamine therapy for the day, healthy monitored ketamine therapy, this world would be a much better place. You know, and I'm not sponsoring drug use. I'm sponsoring therapy. You're like yet. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sponsoring like we have come, myself included, so far from where our children are. We've put so much stuff up. So it is common sense to Shalom not to think about a person's skin color right now. She doesn't see it. What You and I and everyone else learned something along the way that ended up working for our families and then working for our friends, working for our friendship groups and stuff like that but again i go back to this kind of it is so fictitious and that's why i just want us to get real and get real about like everything out there is is man made we can retrofit right size everything with more love more generosity of spirit more hey how are you doing today
0: and then looking at them and then pausing yeah, yeah and how are you looking doing? at them
1: and how about this like i'm rooting for you i got your back Yes. You can yes. tell me anything. Right. Let's start there. Let's start there.
0: Okay. I promised my last question, but I have to ask. I promise. You know, we, I, we, I talked to you before a little bit about you and Gary. Like, did you, do you guys fight? Do you guys argue? Do you guys get into it? Here's the question though. Okay. Listen to this. You guys have such different like personalities. Like you guys you guys message so differently and you guys are like, everybody goes, Claude's so cozy. Like she's so like, and Gary's so you know so how so do you guys fight argue what does it look like and are you guys really that different i don't think we're that different
1: i really don't i think we have very similar hearts and we have very similar areas of improvement and very similar ways of seeing the world Uh, we don't fight we don't argue i mean he's my boss
0: yeah, and, so, and you're like. Plus, I'm always right. So. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you're like, and then there's that. <laughs> like, hello. Oh my god, <laughs> the amount of times I have to say I know to him, I've come to that place where I don't ever want Gary to tell me something first. I want to make sure that I was on it first because that's his job isn't to tell me something. My job is to tell him something.
0: Anticipation is a huge skill that but, a lot of people lack. That's right. That's
1: called waiting tables and bartending. Yes.
0: yes yeah. It is. So,
1: uh, and by the way, he's—I'm not going to tell you—he's cozy, but he's super warm.
0: Yeah. You know. Well, and that's why I said when I was when I was hearing that's the reason. Claude just said, so you know, the reason why I asked that question like that is because I don't get that. I get that, I get the more of like, listen to me, I can make it better. I can make it better. Right. That's what I get more from him. I just get you're a little bit more relaxed about the same message. Yeah. 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 Totally,
1: totally. And uh, and I come at it probably with a little bit more of an emotional slant. You know, he's like, bravery. And I'm like, emotional bravery. <laughs>
0: right. You're like, let me make that a little bit less edgy. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas. Claude, thank yeah. you so much. Thank it's you. I can't believe that we could literally talk to each other like once a week and come up with so many different... Oh my gosh. I just thank, thank you, you so much for the time and I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to have you back on the show. So thank you so I much for everything. Wait.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. This is the best. Love you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Spin It. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified when a new episode is released. The best way to support the show is to leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And if you want to hear more from me, hop over to Instagram and follow me at Stephanie Malik. That's Stephanie with a Y, -Y S-T-E-P-H-Y-N-I-E, Malik, M-A-L-I-K, or visit my website at stephaniemalik.com.